Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. This reading comes from Ecclesiastes chapters 5 and verses 8 to 12. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things, for one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Uh, This reading is from Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. The widow's offering. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people were in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Good morning. Morning. Yeah, I'll make sure. There we go. Fantastic. Wow. Isn't it amazing how fast the year is already going? Is it? It is absolutely amazing. We're, we're approaching the end of January and, uh, you know, Australia Day just around the corner, the first month's down. Um, my kids hate the fact that when I actually look at age, I like to count it in months. So I'm now approaching uh, 614 months old. And, um, and I, I often like thinking that way because it sort of puts it in your mind, well, what, did I, what have I done with each of those months? You know, they keep on ticking over fairly quickly. And how, how, have I actually, what have I actually done with the past month, 613? Um, I encourage you all to think about your age in months. It's, it's really, really helpful. Um, makes you feel very young. Um, but before we get into things, I'm get, we've got a few, uh, just a, we'd like to show you in practical ways, some illustrations before the sermon begins. And so I'll give you a a bit of a theme, first of all. The theme is simply that things are not necessarily, things are often not what they seem. So I'm going to ask the kids to come up who are participating in this service. Come on up. And they've got a few things. Come around the other side of this table so that the, the video will be able to be adjusted to be able to show you. And we're going to start off with Sam and Ruby, I think. And we'll start off with our very favourite glass jar, shall we? Is that right? 
So Sam and Ruby, do you actually, one of you want to have a microphone? Yes, there we go. So Ruby, if you are, you've got a microphone, is it turned on? Oh, it'll be turned on. Somebody will turn it on. We're adjusting the camera so that everything is okay for YouTube. Don't worry about it, just talk, just talk into it. And it'll, I'm sure that the sound people will figure it all out. Hello? Yep. So, what would you like to do? tell us about? We've got an empty glass jar here, is that right? Can you please fill it up? Without breaking it. All right, we're filling up one glass jar. Yeah, we've already got a crack in the jar, but that was pre-made before they started doing any of this. Did we just break the jar? Yes. I don't think this is gonna work. Well, there you go. Guess what? This jar is going to be struggle to fill up. Jess has a plan. You're going to use the other glass jar? There you go. Excuse me, we're going to empty that one out. Pass you that one. Oh, that's a bit of a pity because now people are going to see what we were going to do with that one. This is one of the things that you always work with, is you work with the unexpected. I'll do that. One, two, three. Do it quickly. Shall we try again? That's a better jar anyway. And I'll try not to cut myself with that. Anybody got an OHS lens on? Excuse me for a second. Now my question for you, of course, have you filled, have you filled it up yet? Have they filled it up? Yeah. Some people are saying yes, some people are saying no. The people who are saying no, what do you think, Lockie? Halfway. Halfway, all right. What do you think we could do to fill it up some more? Okay, we'll put something else in it. That's a great idea. Okay, guys, get the gravel going. Okay, is it full now? Some people, people who've seen this before say no. Some people say yes. Okay, have you got anything else you can pour into this? Yes. Hint. <laughs> All right, now see how well you go without pouring that without actually electrocuting everything. Ooh, yeah. All right, fantastic. Is it full now? Yeah. Everyone's out. Okay, now what I'd like is for Sam and Ruby, or Ruby or Sam, or one or the other, to actually explain what, what do we get out of that? They can be filled more. You can put rocks in? Yeah. Any other thoughts? Um. No? So the idea is obviously that if you started with the water, and the reason we had a water jar was we were going to do it the other way around as well. If you poured the water in first, and you tried to put rocks in, what would have happened? You would get a great big mess. But by starting with the big rocks first and then putting in everything else around it, you're able to fit everything in. And the illustration, as always, is about life, isn't it? That you might think that you're busy, and quite often you are, but that's because we're starting with the little things, the water, rather than the big rocks. 
And so when we actually start looking at how we fill up our lives, the idea is that you put the big rocks in first, then the little things, and you'll be able to fit everything that you need to fit in, in. That's the illustration. But that's not all we've got for you today. We've actually got some, um, we want to actually test you guys out a little bit. So this is going to be a bit of audience participation. Sorry about the off-camera people. So let's start off with Dondamo. Have you got something that you could show us? Ah, what is that? It's a chain thing. It's a horseshoe. Come, come over here for a sec. Come out to the, just over, oh, actually not over the cable. Come around this way. All right, fantastic. So, what do we got here? Does anyone know what this is? Okay. It's a puzzle, right? And there is a mission in life. And the, the idea is, can you get the ring off without cutting anything? Without cutting the ring and without cutting the cables? Does anyone know how to do this? No. Amelia knows how to do it. She comes from our house. Is there anyone else who knows how to do it? Would anyone like to have a go? Micah wants to have a go. You want to come up and have a go? Give Micah a go. All right. Lucky, I know you want to have a go too. Don't worry. You can come up and be ready to have a go too. But just, we'll do one at a time. Is that all right? What I particularly always appreciate about this is the look of concentration that you get when you're actually doing it. What do you reckon, Micah? Oh, he's got the idea. He's definitely got something going here. It's very difficult, you see, to be able to do these sort of things. And what do these puzzles actually mean? They test out your brain. How laterally can you think? I'll tell you what, Lockie, I'll get you up for the next one. Okay, because of time is ticking, I'm going to give it to Donoma. Donoma, can you show us what happens here? Oh, well, he's going to dance at first. Can you do that one too, Sam? Yeah. Oh, you do that one, and then um, while I'm going to get that up, I'm going to get Evan. Can you grab your other thing? We have one of these magic boxes here. Have you seen this one? Yeah. Oh, hang on. Yeah, Everyone's seen one of these. All right. These boxes are really interesting because you've got to try and work out how can you open it up? How can you open it up? Does anyone know how to open this box up? Lockie, why don't you come up and give it a go? Come and give it a go, my friend. Open the box. <laughs> Actually, Ben might want it. No, Ben can't do it. He's he's only got one arm. <laughs> he's looking at me like I can do it. Can you do it? It's a pretty tricky box, right? Who would like to actually also have another go? Anybody else want to have a go? No. Okay, let's give it to Ruby. Ruby, can you figure out how to open up this box? After being shown, maybe. 
Ta-da! Thank you. Yeah, don't put it in backwards, no. Okay, guys, thank you very much for that. Sorry about the gla broken glass jar. That was really helpful. Um, you can go back to your seats, and we're going to go on with the sermon. And you might go, well, what has that got to do with anything? Apart from the idea that life is a mystery and there's lots of little problems to solve in life, you can actually get a few good illustrations out of these magical puzzles. Um, actually, one of the things afterwards, by the way, guys, is the next challenge is to put the ring back on. Just, just for what it's worth. So I want to talk about today the idea that things are not what they seem. And I've got a couple of questions to kick it off with before we go into a video clip. And the question is, do you feel like you're on solid ground? Do you feel like you're on solid ground? I mean, I mean, it's fairly, look, it's fairly flexible as a floor. You know, is it nice to be on solid ground? Have you ever noticed sometimes there, there used to be a habit when people would go um, on a boat or uh, possibly even sometimes flying, they'd get off the vessel, whether it was an aircraft vessel or a boat, and they'd get off, and what would they do when they get off? Kiss the ground. Because why? Oh, thank God I am on solid ground all over again. On the other hand, sometimes you might feel like things are spinning out of control. You might feel like, you know, uh, you don't know what's going on. What is actually up next? So I'm going to bring up a video. We'll start it off on pause for a moment. Um, and hopefully, just pause it for a moment. And you'll see here, this is, this is a video that starts off with what it looks like from Earth with the night sky. And then while the video is playing, I'm just going to talk it through. And I, before I start, I do want to give an acknowledgement to the curiositybox.com who have uh, fantastic science information. And this is a video from their YouTube channel. And uh, what I've done is I've just minimal, clipped a few things just to illustrate a few points today. So if we could um, just kick it off. So this is what the sky looks like around the Earth. But in reality, what's happening is it's the Earth that's moving and not the stars. And that's because, obviously, as we now know, what? The Earth is spinning it's in, and it's in an orbit. Now, we know that the Earth spins around in a direction so that, as he illustrates here, west chases east. And he's got this nice little thing where he makes out that the United States is a strange little animal with an eye on the top. That's how he remembers which way it spins. But now comes this really interesting perspective. If you were sitting on the Earth and looking at it from spinning, just from a fixed reference point, this is what it looks like. This is the ride that you are on. Keep watching it and see if you don't get motion sickness. It's pretty spinny, isn't it? This is what we're actually doing. At the moment, right now, we are doing 1,670 kilometres an hour if we're at the equator, a little bit less down here because we're well below the equator, and the Earth is spinning around. Now, from a cosmological point of view, if you spin it out, if you're a fixed reference point like there, and this is the Earth spinning around, and here we are with the sun, this is what your, tra your track around the sun looks like in a year. Yes, we really are that little trippy. It's spinning around in a major way. But that's not all. The, Earth, the sun itself, our solar system, is also moving. And it's moving 
at approximately 70,000 kilometers an hour. And so as a result, the Earth is not actually doing a fixed circle. If you did a, a sort of a trail, it's doing this little corkscrew through space. Pretty exciting. And then the sun itself is actually orbiting within the galaxy. And it's doing around about, and our, and if you look at our, our um, the Milky Way, the Milky Way itself is actually doing something like 700,000 kilometers an hour as it trips around its own center of gravity. So across the course of around about 100 years is what you're gonna see here in a second. This is the pattern of the Earth across your life. Just this nice little trail. And so what you might feel like is a fixed reference point is actually not fixed at all. I don't know about you, but I find these sort of things really, really amazing. If you think about what we're learning about the universe, about what God has made, and if you think about the fact that right now we feel like we're in a significant place, we see each other, there's you know, there's a heap of us gathered in a room. There's more of us on the internet. We've got all of this knowledge and we feel very significant. But if we look at space in this way, if we look at the way in which everything is constructed in the universe, we are actually kind of tiny. And not only that, that solid ground that we think we're standing on is not solid at all. I don't know whether that reassures you. I hope it doesn't depress you, <laughs> you know? Uh, think about it this way. People pay to go on a roller coaster that does 80 k's an hour. In reality, we're already traveling at 1600 kilometers an hour. We just don't feel it. Isn't that pretty crazy? And in fact, that's a reason if we really, uh, I don't want to go too far into this, but why do they launch space shuttles and everything else from the equator rather than further from a perimeter? It's because the Earth, obviously, the, the lateral speed is faster at the equator than it is further down. Because obviously, by the time you get to a pole, you're, not, you're actually just spinning once a day. <laughs> you're not really going that fast at all, but at the equator, you're going 1,600 k's an hour. So if you want to launch a rocket at 28,000 k's an hour to escape the Earth, it helps if you start at 1,600 kilometers an hour in the first place. Anyway, my wife's shaking her head at that. She's going, oh, that's a little bit too trippy. So what I want to talk about here is there's an illusion of stability that in our lives, we have this idea, this illusion of stability. And we think that we have our lives all together. We think that we can find a safe place. You know, they talk about the idea of uh, people living in caves at some point in history. Well, why would people go to caves? Well, the cave is nice, it's solid. We can feel secure within the cave. But then if you step back and look at it, there ain't that much secure about the cave at all when you look at what is going on in space. This illusion of stability is one of the reasons why for many years in history, most of the smart people actually believed that the universe didn't have a start date, that the universe was eternal. Does anyone know roughly when the uh, scientific theory changed so that it recognised that there was a start date to the universe? Anyone? Do you think it was like, it's actually, it was actually around about 1930, 1931. And it's really interesting. 
Because even Albert Einstein, when he first came up with his theory of relativity, and he was publishing it in 1917, you know the very first edition of it, he modified the theory because he needed to assume an eternal universe, that the universe was not changing. And he invented something and plugged something in called a cosmological constant. In other words, an adjusting factor, just so that his theory would fit the assumption that the universe was static. Around about 10 years later, there was this guy who came along, Edwin Hubble. Everyone heard of the Hubble telescope? And Edwin Hubble made a few observations. And he went, you know what? Kind of looks like, it kind of looks like galaxies are actually moving. They're not actually static. And in fact, it looks like they're moving away. But even then, people still didn't put the pieces together. And it was eventually a guy, and I'm wondering, does anyone know who it was who first came up with a theory that's later known as the Big Bang Theory, but actually initially was called the Cosmic Egg Theory? Anyone? He hasn't got name. He isn't well known. Isn't that funny? So I'm going to actually give you his name. Georges Lemaitre. Georges Lemaitre, a Belgian priest who was also a scientist, initially was the starting point. And what he said was, hey, there's an interesting thing here. If we, now, and here's the reason why Einstein had to put aside the assumption in. If gravity is real, if, and we know gravity is real, right? Anyone pretty comfortable with the idea gravity is real? If we know gravity is real and matter is attracted to matter, there's a real problem in the universe because if matter is attracted to matter and everything's attracted to each other, if everything starts in a fixed place, it's not going to stay that way for long because eventually gravitational attraction will pull everything together into a single consolidated point. So we've got a problem here, and that's why Einstein put in the cosmological constant, was to keep everything pushing away from each other, to create a force of repulsion. But when they realised that things are actually moving away, Edwin said, aha, sorry, Georges said, he said, hey, this actually fits with what the Bible says, doesn't it? Everything has a start date. Maybe instead of everything coming together or everything being in a fixed place, maybe it started at a fixed point, and then spread out. Einstein immediately went, you little ripper, this is the way it is, I'm ditching the cosmological constant, this is the biggest mistake I've ever made. And ever since then, for the past 80 or 90 years, the cosmic egg didn't quite take off, people preferred the Big Bang, the Big Bang theory has been popularised. Now what is all this to do with us? Well, right now we live in an age where people quite frequently say, you know, the Bible is just this superstitious old hat piece of junk written by a bunch of shepherds who knew nothing about science and about illiterate, illogical, emotional, probably smoking something, certainly eating something they shouldn't have been. And that's why you've got all these fanciful stories in the Bible. And yet, for most of human history, the Bible was right. There's a start date for the universe. Scientists eventually, with powerful enough telescopes and really amazing minds, and with the assistance of the Bible on the side, figured out that the universe has a start date. 
that creation is real. That what it says when God said, let there be light, is actually an incredibly powerful, literary and perfect description of the moment that the universe began. And you see those illiterate shepherds, those hopeless people, those people who were triggered by, wandering around, looking at the stars and writing poetry were right all along. And we, in the 21st century, are still benefiting from the wisdom that the Bible gives, even from a scientific perspective. Does that make sense? You see, we have to face a reality in life. And the reality of life, as the universe shows us, is that the universe is dynamic, that everything in life is dynamic. We experience this in our lives every single day, don't we? Things are changing all of the time. You know, as I count off those months, I saw some some wincing as people sat there and maybe did some mental arithmetic at your age in months. Well, the unfortunate thing is, you, you, you know, you can look in the mirror, you can dye your hair, you can pretend, but guess what? You're not the same you were a few months ago or even 100 months ago. And we have to therefore be able to see that coping with change Coping with what's going on in life requires a bit of a mindset shift from assuming stability. You know, those two readings that we had just before, from Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and Mark chapter 12, we'll start off with Ecclesiastes 5. What did it say about, say to us? Well, I've just pulled out the key verse here for us. What did it say? It says that wealth this thing that we put so much security in is actually a bit of an illusion. It's slipping through your fingers. That we're always so consumed as a society. What's the number one thing? That, what's the number one job of, the, of government, it seems, these days? What did Bill Clinton say? It's the economy, stupid. Isn't that what it was? It's all about economic wealth, how we get on. Now, these things are important, by the way. It's important to be able to eat and live and be dressed and all these things. I'm not actually trivialising them. But at the end of your life, when you eventually come along and, and you know, one of the things we've got to all face up to is one day, you know, unless, the, unless God wraps it up before we go, we're all going to face up to a funeral. And the one thing that's not really going to be said is, you know what, I'm so impressed at your bank balance. It's not really what it's going to be about, is it? There's something so much more to life. There's something so much more than just simply pursuing after money. That illusion of security that we're all after. The equivalent to the caveman retreating to the cave, not knowing that in fact there's no security there at all, is the same thing that we do today. In Mark chapter 12, and I'll just see if that works. Which one? Which ways am I going? Big button. Big button. That's it. Fantastic. Thank you. I'm now using the technology. In Mark chapter 12, what did Jesus do? Jesus was watching people coming to the temple and putting money in. And lots of wealthy people came along and they threw in large wads of cash. Presumably they weren't pesos. And what, what was this? That looked so good. And then... 
a woman comes up and she creeps in and she chucks him two tiny little copper coins. Now, for those of you who are younger than a certain age, for those of you younger than 200 months old, probably actually younger than 240 months old, you don't know what a copper coin is because you haven't seen or a one or two cent piece. All right? Why? Because it's worth nothing. And it wasn't even worth anything back then. These copper coins were worth little. And then Jesus said, what? She has put in more than all the others because there's a perspective shift. Because even though all the others put in a lot, they were giving out of far more. What she put in was out of the heart. It was everything she had to live on. A perspective shift. And this is what I want to throw out there for all of us today. As we commence this new year, what have we got to face up to? What have we got to face up to? We've got to face up to the fact that in living our lives, we're either sort of floating along and relying on, I don't know, the uncertainty of even having good health, the uncertainty of wealth, even possibly the uncertainty of standing on solid ground in the house that we live in, although in New Zealand I'm fairly confident that they don't actually take the solid ground for granted. Is that right, Janet? It just, it's just, uh, you know, the ground's moving. We can feel it moving. We can feel every kilometre an hour. You know, we then say, well, what is it we are going to stand on? What sort of foundation are we going to put into our lives that gives us that sense of solidity and security that we're always hungering after? In Matthew chapter 7, in verse 15, Jesus has a few things to say about this. And I'll just give me a moment while I pull up the Bible on the app. And I'm going to read it to you. I'll pull up the key verse, but I want to just read out the whole section to you. My app's just taking a little bit of time to load. This iPad is old, you see. It's seven years old, 84 months. And in, in, in technology terms, that is an old device. Matthew 7, 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into their fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognise them. See, what Jesus says here is he says, if you want to base your life on something, if you want to look at what you're going to follow, look at what it produces in your life. Look at what it produces in the lives of the people who follow it. What does it produce? What I look at is I go, when I come to the Bible, why do I even believe the Bible? Why do I believe it? Why do I believe what the Bible has to say? I'll tell you the answer is because just like I demonstrated with the universal history, the history of the understanding of the expansion and movement of the universe, the Bible fits the facts of history and reality 
better than any other philosophy, understanding, religion, or theory on earth. There is nothing else that fits, nothing else that matches. Cosmologically, it predicted and gets right the idea that we would one day understand that the universe had a start date. But at a personal, far deeper level, the Bible shows up in our lives. And you'll see it. Because what Jesus said here is he says you can tell, you can tell about a person not by what they say, but by what they produce. And we see that all the time, don't we? We see that in people that we know. We see that in political leadership. We see it all around us. That all around us, you can actually determine the value base or the effectiveness or the solidity of somebody's life based on how they interact with others, based on what their life produces. You know, Jesus said that the greatest commandment, right, was what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the second greatest, love your neighbour as yourself. He gave an instruction for the church. He said, by your love, one for another, all people will know that you are my disciples. You see, when I ask the question about what gets said at a funeral, that's actually what you really want to be said, isn't it? You really want to be able to be known, not for what you accumulated and therefore had to leave behind, but by the way in which your life created relationships of love or relied on those relationships of love. And yet, when none of us are perfect, all of us fall short on that love. All of us are struggling to be able to do it. And the Bible says, you know, not only am I going to set up this impossible standard of what makes a solid foundation for your life in a universe spinning out of control, which is love, the Bible then goes on to say, I will cover up the gaps. That Jesus came to cover up the gaps in our lives to give us grace, to give us forgiveness, so that even when we fall short, we can still feel secure and have that solid foundation. You know, before we just demonstrated a few tricks. We said, you know, look, here we go. We've got a horseshoe. How can we pull it off? And we, sometimes we look at God this way and say, you know, is God the great magician? I'm gonna struggle with this now, aren't I? Sit there and go, look, didn't work. Get it right. We get, the, we get the magician, uh, the tricks of life. But what we see is that life actually isn't a trick. That life is actually all about understanding how we relate to each other. Because it's so temporary. That tiny little one-inch movement of the earth during our course of lifetime on the map, you know, whatever distance it's covering, I didn't actually calculate that, but it's a fair bit of distance through the universe, is still but a tiny fraction of what there is for us to be able to understand across eternity. And what I want to give everyone here is a challenge today. A challenge to say, look at your perspective. Have a look at what's going on. What are you standing on? What is the solid ground for you? For me, I have to say that every time that I put my hope into something like the earth or wealth or health, I find it lets me down. But every time I turn to God, every time I actually put the Bible 
and the words of God into practice, I find that it really does give me that inexplicable foundation that gives us a solid, a solid basis for life. That's why there's, a, there's an old song that I'm not going to sing, Jess. You know, you know, you remember that one, Build Your Hope on Things Eternal? You know, and uh, does anyone know that song? Build Your Hope on Things Eternal? No, nobody would know it here. Uh, Jess is saying, no, don't sing it. But what we need to be able to do is as we think about these things, as we learn about everything there is to learn in life, examine what we're building our hope on. And the challenge today, build your hope not on just what we've understood, not on even science, technology, income, status, but build your hope on the things of God. That's all.